Hey, this is John Reap from the Country-ish Podcast on the All Things Comedy Network. No sports? No problem. My bookie offers the latest and most popular sport game titles and state-of-the-art software. No need to leave the comfort of your home. It's all at your fingertips. Featuring a truly flawless live casino, complete with professional dealers, as well as a large selection of classic and progressive slots games, plus the greatest selection of video poker variants. They really do offer something for everyone. Take advantage of their daily promotions for the casino, which includes bonuses, cash backs, raffles, free chips, and free spins for you to increase your chances of winning every single day. Also, you can put your skills to the test in their latest free blackjack and slots tournaments, which includes a free 10K prize pool blackjack tournament. Stuck at home? Don't even sweat it. They got you covered. Join now and start winning big today. Sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for a payout? My bookie pays fast when you win. With decades of experience, great customer service, and hassle-free transactions, why would you bet anywhere else? Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code ATCCASINO for a 150% bonus on your first deposit. Bet with the biggest, win with the best, only at my bookie. Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Don't try to run, don't try to hide. You're still your car without thinking twice. Stop the party, hide your shit. Then leave this in the hell What's up, fool? Podcast with Felipe Esparza right here. And um, no Rodrigo. That fool in Las Vegas didn't even tell us he was going to go over there. I got a text yesterday. I sent him a picture of um, of um, Alfred Robles and a matchup of um, Polly from Rocky. Whatever, man. And they look alike, man. So Then I asked him, where you at? He said, I'm in Las Vegas with Edwin San Juan. But I thought, you know, that, I don't know, he was gonna, I thought, you know, like he was going to come back and hang out with us on Wednesday. I didn't get a, a message like, put it this way, man. I didn't think that fool was going to be there all week. You know, that's something you got to tell somebody a week ahead of time. Hey, man, I know you're a, lo- you're, you're a forgetful guy. The drugs have affected you bad. <laughs> I'm telling you, this morning, I'm going to be in Las Vegas and... I'm going to call you in at 420 and remind you again, I'm going to be in Las Vegas. So we don't know where the hell he's at. So what? We don't. We need him here for the big laugh. Don't write. We'll add the laugh track for him. <laughs> but if you're in Las Vegas, go check out uh, Rodrigo Torres. He's opening up for Edwin San Juan at Planet Hollywood. It's an event. They give away prizes for the best um old Filipino face looking 
person. You gotta make like a like, like a like a ninja face, like a ninja ninja turtle face, because that's Edwin's <clears throat> face, and you win a prize. You win tickets to go see the show again on Monday. He does shows seven days a week at that place. Seven days a week, people, okay? He's like a comedian migrant worker. You know, they'll get you somehow. He's doing seven days. That means he's working Monday through Monday. One hour show with an opening a feature. And um he has to live in Las Vegas. Man, I don't like that deal. I remember one time um this comedian named Eric Griffin had a deal like that, the Haha ha Cafe. He was hosting every Saturday for the rest of his life for sixty dollars. Luckily workaholics came along and he didn't <laughs> have to do that dump again. <laughs> I remember one time I started arguing with the owner from the Ha Ha Cafe, Terry. And I asked her, man, what's up with that deal you gave Eric Griffin to host $60 a month for a month of comedy? She goes, are you making fun of my club? I said, no, man, I'm making fun of bad decisions in comedy. <clears throat> anyway, so we're back, people. Um, upcoming shows. I'll be at December 10, one night only, in Sacramento at Harlow's Nightclub. There's only 40 tickets left for, if you're listening to this on Saturday, there ain't no more tickets. It's done. Harlow's, December 10, with Toby Hicks and maybe Rodrigo Torres. We decided if we're going to take him or not, since he didn't call in. Everybody, if you're listening to this show, hashtag Rodrigo, call in, call in, fool, call in, fool. All right. January 5th through the 8th. I'll be in Pleasanton, California at Tommy T's. That's right, Tommy T's. Used to be a steakhouse. Then nobody started buying steaks. Now they're just a comedy club. <laughs> January 14th, Miami, Florida at James Knight Center. Sound like a clan meeting. No, but it's a theater. James Knight Center. I'll be a guest on Mike Epps' tour. So I guess I'm going first. January 21st. Los Angeles, California at the Novo Theater, formerly the Nokia, formerly an empty lot in downtown LA, Los Angeles, California. Two shows with a surprise comedy guest, people, surprise. So surprised that if I mention his name, I got to give him an extra $1,000, so I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. You know, you know how it is. All right. Atlanta, Georgia, I'm coming back to the punchline. The Atlanta punchline is the original punchline, people. Not to be confused by the place that doesn't book me in San Francisco. The San Francisco punchline, not to be confused by that place, the San Francisco punchline, who have not booked me since 2012. And um, I remember I went talking a lot of shit on Facebook and Twitter about because somebody asked me how come Felipe you don't get booked at the San Francisco punchline because um over there they practice a, a, a thing called liberal racism where they only book Latino ha comedians that that look happy like El Madrigal who's a local guy from San Francisco he get he gets booked there all the time you know and um and Cristela Alonso you know safe comedians you know they don't book comedians like Felipe Esparza or Earthquake but I talk so much shit. Two years ago that now they do. You get to see Jeff Garcia over there now. You get to see Willie Barcena, but you don't get to see me. Why? Because I took one for the team, people. I talk so much shit that that girl who books the comedy club went to go talk to my old agent, Tim Scally, and asked him 
how come you don't book? Um, what did Felipe say? I don't book comedian like him. And he responded, because you don't. So that's why I'm banned or, or no consideration. And then I, I did a show, a big ass show, when a big ass show that started after the sun went down, and it was the, <laughs> it was a big show, man, like a big show. I don't know the comedians that were there: Gabriel Iglesias, um, Cristela Alonso, Russell Peters, Mike Epps headlined. So many big comedians: um, Roberts, something Roberts, Dave Roberts, Eric Roberts, Ali Roberts. He's a black comics. Tony Roberts, yes, he went on the stage. And um, I met the guy who runs the whole show, Jeff Wills, who works for um, the Punchline. You know, but he's big. He's big now, Live Nation. And um, I got booked at the last minute for this show, and they were thanking me, Felipe. Thank you for accepting this show. I know you were busy, but I wasn't. And um, he said, "Do you want anything out of this? Gonna do you a favor?" I said, "Yeah, man. <laughs> Book me to San Francisco Punchline." <laughs> So years went by, nothing happened. So that's when I started that little San Francisco punchline, Felipe Esparza beef, which is the beef is not with the people of San Francisco or the stand-up comics who get booked there. You know, but I got to say something, you know. What's, what's up with that, man? I got to get a television show to get booked on that show? Yes, I will. I do have a pilot that's being written right now. and But by, by that time, I will need to get booked. I'll probably do a theater with, um, not with, um, the punchline, but with somebody else. So anyway, people, you want to start another beef? There's your beef. Hit up the punchline in San Francisco. What's up with Felipe Esparza not getting booked? It doesn't even matter no more because you know what? At my level, I'm not burning bridges. I'm tearing them down and adding my own bridge. Okay, people, that's how we do. I build bridges. I make bridges. All right, enough of that. So January 27th, I'll be at the Atlanta, Georgia punchline. And that's it, people. That's where I'll be. Enough of that. Thanksgiving was awesome. I was in Morro Bay, California. I decided to stick, stay away from Black Friday and my family. <coughs> and they were good, you know. I, I don't want to talk politics in my family, even though everybody there was probably voting for Hillary. But, you know, I don't want to, I didn't vote for anybody because I can't vote. You know, you can't vote with criminal record or you can't vote if you're not an American citizen. <clears throat> Even though your wife is American, that doesn't count. But I might could have voted, but I didn't. I would have. I, don't, I probably wouldn't. I never know who to vote for. I probably would just vote um these nuts like everybody else. <laughs> so what's up, fool? Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Shout out to everybody who was having a good Thanksgiving. A lot of people were had to work. I seen those sad faces at Target. Man. I, I took a picture with a guy who works at Target, and the man had a, that fool had a sad face. Then he put the photo up on Instagram. He said, fuck this place. Don't shop here. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work retail, man. And let me tell you, man, it's not the greatest job in the whole wide world. I used to, My first retail job was at Newberry's on Atlantic Square. Wow. Damn, bro. Old school, huh? And, man, I was supposed to be, a ca- I was supposed to be cashier of that place. But I ended up being the guy that walks around with a vest, picking up stuff that people didn't, like, put away. Like a purse that someone left by the shoes or a potato chips that someone left by the bathroom. Stuff like that. I was a walking job fair, people. 
I trip out on some sayings that people say, man, that have no, like, it has no meaning nowadays. You know, like, when people used to say when something really easy, like, don't worry, bro, it's a walk in the park. But, you know, if you grew up where I grew up, you know, that's not that's not a real, that doesn't sound so easy, man. Like, what park are you talking about, man? Are you talking about Hollenbeck Park at night with Third Street gang there? Come on, man. That's not a walk in the park in the daytime or nighttime. Or a walk in the park at Echo Park in 1996? Forget about it, bro. Or a walk in the park at Lake Lake at midnight where everybody was selling PCP? I just made that up, man. I didn't even know they sold PCP over there. They probably did. What's up, fool? Oh, man. We have a guest today, man. Long story short. In 1991 or 92, I was um, sent to, I would say I was sent Sent. I was in a. I was in a sent. I had no choices. I was thrown into a corner, or it's funny when you get thrown thrown, thrown into a corner. You know, there's nowhere to go. I don't know why people like living in cul-de-sacs because there's nowhere to go there either. What happened, bro? Oh man, I was pushed into a cul-de-sac, and what happened? I had a choice: run and fight, or jump off the gate and run inside the five freeway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I live in wow. commerce. commerce. <laughs> the city of commerce. So I went into rehab, and right away, I got a job in the rehab cooking because I wanted to eat. Because I remember I met this old vet that I know inside rehab. <clears throat> he said, "Bro, if you ever get hungry, make sure if you ever on the run, get a job at a restaurant that, and you always get to eat there." That way you don't have to worry about buying groceries. You just go back to work and eat eat other food. So I was there chilling, man. And at this rehab, it was like non-denomination, but it was basically a lot of Christians and one Muslim and one crazy Armenian and one um, Mormon. That was read from a book called Adam. I don't know what that was, but it was for kids of alcoholics. So we all were together. And we couldn't really listen to um, regular music like KRLA or K-Earth or 97.5 KLOS, you know, stuff like that. We had to listen to Christian music. <clears throat> but a lot of us didn't have Christian music. All we had was one tape. <laughs> <laughs> All we had was one tape. And we listened to that tape back and forward, back and forward. So I got to listen to it, I memorized it, and the singer on the tape was some dude named Willie G. And I say, all right, Willie G. I didn't know who Willie G was, but I knew who was, who I, knew, I heard of the name before I was in rehab from the old uh, veteranos that used to hang out outside my porch for hours on Friday night, man, and listen to oldies but goodies all night. And yell loud, Cuatro Flats! I don't know why, but that was the name of the gang. <laughs> but they would yell out gangs, their gang names, but I don't know. That was the gang, 4th Street. And there were these dudes were, man, they were in Pendleton's, man. It was like it was like living in that movie, Blood In, Blood Out. But they were all thugs, man, and they were all doing drugs. And they were listening to the oldies but goodies. And they were listening to the Z Midnighters. <laughs> But I thought it was the Midnighters, so I looked it up the other night. It's Z Midnighters with two E's and no G. It's M-I-D-N-I-T-E-R-S. So th this guy, 
who I li- who I used to listen to in music, when these guys were out there doing dope and partying and walking like zombies, I, I would listen to his music now in rehab too. <laughs> I never got to listen to his music partying like everybody else. I, I got to watch people party and listen to his music, and then when I end up in rehab, I listen to Willie G and the Midnighters. But in this tape, he wasn't singing oldies but goodies. He was um, singing um, gospel Christian music. But it was like, it was tight, man. It was like, he was like singing and then giving you a little message about his life, about like a little tribute, a little a little biography about his life. So he'll stop singing and then he'll show a little bit about his life. And that's something I never heard before, like, that's something that only comedians do nowadays. Like they'll tell you a joke and then they'll tell you where the joke came from. Or usually, like myself, my jo- my comedy is more like more like um, um, what I heard. It's just like what I'm telling you about my life. Plus, I add a little comedy twist to it. But I started listening to it, and that's all I had. So, got to know the songs, and this is one of the songs I heard. Everybody grab your Pendleton and, and tie up the last button only. And put on your hairnet, your hat, clean your tennis shoes, and grab the nearest person next to you and put them tight together and start dancing. And if you have a woman there, grab your jefita. Grab your mom. Grab a broom. Grab whatever you can. And check this out. Check out this guitar riff right here. Check out that saxophone in the back. You're going to drive really slow when you hear this song. Yes, people. If you look them up on the Wikipedia, they'll tell you these were the the Mexican, the Chicano Beatles of East LA. And we have here the lead singer and one of the founders of this band. And before introducing, I ran into him at a show I did at, at, the, at in the city, in um, City Hall, the Chamber of Commerce. And he was there to introduce him. And I said, what? You know, 180 here. <laughs> we are at the same spot. Two guys, one guy that, you know, that was sharing his life to me over the cassette. And um, we're here together again. And he knew who I was, which even makes it more important, well, more exciting. I got my, my nipples were hard. I got the goosebumps. <laughs> I got chills. I turned into a little, a little girl <coughs> or a little, a little boy who just made Andrew the Giant. <laughs> and the song started playing again. And I felt like Wayne's World, <laughs> where they meet Alice Cooper. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. So, man, we are right here. Willie G, people, from East LA, Salesian High School. 
a real, when you talk about, man, that bath, that, that east side, the east side sound, where it all started, it started right here, man. Right left to me right here, Mr. Willie G. Tell us, bro. Tell us your story. We got listeners all over the world. We got Glenn Carlin in Ireland. We got, um, Cleo in Amsterdam over there eating fries with madness. We got Coop, the comedian in Canada. We got this fool right now in Saudi Arabia, Chicano in Saudi Arabia living over there. We got, we got these two chicks from Morocco who, who are Muslim, who wear the Muslim dresses. They quote blood in, blood out because they love the whole Latino, Chicano lifestyle, which you guys started. That's very popular right now. What's up, fool? <laughs> we got Willie G here in the house. Hey, Felipe. You. Thanks for having me, man. Wow. That's an interesting <laughs> intro. bio. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, my brother. Cool. I had no idea you were in rehab. Yes, I was in um, Live Again Recovery Homes All right, with cool. uh, Pastor Juan Higuera. All right. We were there in August. We were actually in um, Winnetka first, right there by the ranches. Uh-huh. Then we got too many people, and we merged with another. That's funny. We, we merged with another rehab in Fresno that he had. It was North and South. <laughs> and we, it was the first time North and South got together in a rehab. Wow. And, yeah, it was fun, man. See, Jesus can do anything. Anything, That's man. what he does. He brings people together. I can't believe it, man. Like, like when you were talking about um, on your show, like when, we're, when, we're li- when I was listening to this song, you will stop midway, and then you will tell the the listener, which was me, and this was a live show. This this was a live show because in between the the, the in between takes, um, you would say, um, a mic. Check the levels, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know a show is really live, people. <laughs> no BS. You might say, oh, this show was live. No, man, if it's a show real live. There's always technical difficulties, and you left them in there. Um, check out the levels, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so where recorded. it all began for you, man, as a young child? It began for me in South Central L.A. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I went to school on 34th and Central, St. Patrick's, the Catholic school right there uh, with my two brothers. And uh, it was there that I met uh, Edgar Skaggs, Rangia Southern, and Blake Madison, and we used to sing in the bathroom. <laughs> the Chavalillo singing in the bathroom because of the echo. The best sound, bro, like in that show, White Shadow. There you go. When they used to sing in the showers. There you go. And so that's where that's where it began for me. My my older brother, Wero, uh, Frank Garcia. He was dark, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the one that could, that he, he got in everywhere because he was Wero. You know, it's a white man's world. And uh, uh, he's the one uh, that one day pulled me in to the, the bedroom because uh, he noticed that I was starting to come home later and later from school uh, because I would walk through the alley with the guys from 38th Street and smoke camels and lucky strikes. And so he pulled me in one day and he sat me down and he was playing the guitar. And he told me, I, you need to learn this because I can't play and sing at the same time. <laughs> That's what he told me. But I heard him play and sing. At the same time for years. But that's what he told me, and I learned this song, and I, I, I liked it. So instead of hanging out with the guys, I, I'd come home right after school, hoping he'd be home so I could learn the guitar and sing. 
And that's what started it off. And then uh, Blake, Edgar, and Ron Gio, we got <clears> together. <throat> we were nine years old. And we did a talent show at the Elks Club right there on Jefferson and Central. And we won. That was it, man. I got the bug. Nine years old, you had one. What'd you have win? Uh, 20, $20. Wow, $20? $20, man. Five bucks each. That's a lot of money, man. It was a lot of money, brother. And uh, I uh, I remember we went we went to Stella Burger, and we bought some chili fries and a cheeseburger. Mm. And then we walked over to Dolphins of Hollywood on uh, Vernon and Central Record Store. And I bought my first 78. For those of you that don't know, that was a record. A record. It was a record. A 78, that was a speed, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> 78, uh, 33, and 45, so 78 is fatter. Uh, the 78 was thicker. Thicker, huh? And it was it was huge, man. It was about maybe a foot in diameter. You're going to wind it up, huh? The well, consola. If you had, yeah, if you had a Victrola, yeah. Because that's where you played them mostly. Because Western Auto uh, and Pep Boys, they weren't selling those little record players yet. <laughs> Zodis was, yeah. Zodis. Nobody could afford to go to Zodis. <laughs> Zodis was like Best Buy back then. Yeah. Simon. Simon and White Front. White Front. They're wow. Competitors. They're competitors. But anyway, I bought my first 78 record. Uh, I remember it was on the Ember label. And it was a song by the Silhouettes called Get a Job. Get a job. So that was that was a and that that became our mantra. Get a job. So as kids we hustled, you know. And uh uh I got to do a lot of lot of shows. My brother introduced me to a lot of musicians and eventually I went to Salesian High School that had uh one of the best music departments in Southern California, headed up by Professor Bill Taggart. And that's where I met Romeo Prado, uh, the architect of the Midnighter Sound. And uh, eventually we just morphed. We weren't the Midnighters immediately. We were the Gentiles. The Gentiles. <laughs> in Boyle Heights, right? In Boyle Heights, we were the Gentiles. Because our drummer, uh, Jerry Ainsworth, right? He was an Orthodox Orthodox Russian Jew. And uh, every Wednesday when we would pick him up for rehearsal, we could hear his father, who was a rabbi, Jerry, what's the matter with you? Hanging around with those Gentiles. They're unclean. <laughs> and uh, so then we, as a dig to his old man, we called the band the Gentiles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's where it all began for me, Felipe. Wow, man. So you perform at all. Like, I remember my wife and I, we went to um, a record store right there. And um, not within a record store. With a, it's a bookstore. I think it's called the Nightlight or the or the Skylight Bookstore on, um, on Los Feliz area by the movie theater. Oh, yeah. And they have a book there. And it's called um, the, it's the History of, of um, Eastside Music of, of Eastside. And it has all the clubs that you get performed at. Like one of the clubs that you get performed with the CSO. The CYO. CYO, yeah. 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 
And then um, another place in commerce that people have weddings there now, but that was a hot spot. Yeah, the the Little Union. The Little Union. The Little Union on Goodrich. On Goodrich. Yeah. And that ended up, a lot of people have weddings there now, wedding receptions. (laughs) So you guys, you guys, um, you started the Midnighters, and what was the the big break? Uh, The big break for us was uh, (laughs) Bill Taggart, once again, the, the music teacher. He found out that we were playing in nightclubs. You know, nightclubs, you know, little dives along Whittier Boulevard and along Atlantic and Olympic, you know, the Paradise, Bocce's Club, Millie's, Millie's, you know, on Whittier Boulevard and uh, uh, Lito's Corkroom <laughs> on, on Olympic. And, and he he sat us down, man. He got real stern with us. He said, what's the matter with you guys, man? If your parents find out you guys are playing in those clubs, they're going to take you out of the band, out of the, the school band, right? And so he was really worried about that, right? And so you were underage playing. Oh, we were underage, bro. We were fifteen, you know, sixteen years old, uh, painting, painting <laughs> mustaches on, <laughs> you know, because you know the lights in the clubs, it's dark in there, right? But we weren't fooling nobody, you know. I mean, but but we were working, right? We, we enjoyed the work and get a job. So uh, what he did, man, he came up with this 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 idea, man. That, Rock and roll shows. He says we're gonna we're gonna do rock and roll shows. So every Sunday, tardiadas, right at Lourdes, Our Lady of Lourdes, right down Third Street and Rowan. Uh, he put on these rock and roll shows, man. All the little local bands, right, wanted to be in these shows. And he gave us. He actually gave us a platform. The first two years were at Lourdes, and then in 1963, it, people wouldn't fit in the little auditorium at Lourdes anymore. He moved it to East LA College Auditorium where we could squeeze in 2,500 people, right? And the first uh, big show there was in 1963 and he recorded those shows. And uh, in 1964, the big break came for us. Uh, We were on that show and we were supposed to back up Cannibal and the Headhunters. And they got stuck in the fog coming from Fresno, from the Rainbow Ballroom in Fresno, and they didn't make it. We finished our set, and we're looking in the wings, and, and, and Bill Taggart's going, keep going. They're not here. Keep going. And we looked at each other. We didn't know what to do, you know. High school kids, we didn't know what to do. We're looking at each other, and the only songs that we had tight were the songs that we rehearsed with Cannibal and the Headhunters. <laughs> and one of those songs was Land of a Thousand Dances, and we did it. The crowd went crazy, man. Our manager released it that week. Wow. We went, the live recording of it. And, of course, Cannibal and the Headhunters came back. We told them, you know, and they had already tracked it. They had to put their vocals on it. And they released it as well. And it, it became a phenom in East L.A., brother, because our fan base, Cannibal's fan base and our fan base, they started calling all the radio stations. So both of the both versions of Land of a Thousand Dances went up the charts together. And we used to crack up about it because we used to back up Cannibal a lot, you know. I never knew that. I never knew that because I knew the both. I just didn't. Wow, that's good. Good history right there. They were both released around the same time. Yeah, yeah. And they added vocals to it. Wow. And you have been practicing, practicing. Yeah, we used to back them up. Uh, uh, you know, they're not a, the Cannibal and the Headhunters were not a band. They were a four four man singing group, a quartet. And so it wasn't unusual for the bands that were doing the gigs to back up. Yeah, the, the singing groups, you know, like the Salas Brothers, they eventually joined the Jaguars, 
you know, because they needed a band. <laughs> you know, a, a singer's only as good as his band. So Style of Brother became the Jaguar, then they became Tierra later on? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Jaguars existed. Robert Zapata. With the head, was he in that kind of a head on it, right? No. No? No, that, that came way after. That came after, huh? Way after. that. You're talking 90s. Oh. 2000. They, they came, you know, uh, in the 90s. I remember, I remember when Cannibal passed away, God rest his soul. And uh, uh, they were like, like putting a, a band together to go start doing shows, right? And that's how Robert Zapata came into, oh. uh, uh, into that group. You know, really good drummer. I mean, they, they, they're out working as Cannibal and the Headhunters today. So, um, when wow, that's a, amazing. And you guys were little, man, just kids. You guys were like the in sync of the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and because, wow, 2,500 people. Yeah. And not just kids, adults too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a mixed crowd. I mean, that was the cool thing about what we did if uh, – if we liked the song, we learned it, you know, like the town I live in, yeah. you know. Uh, McKenzie Mitchell wrote that song. I heard it coming through Texas on a low-powered radio station. You could only get these stations like in the middle of the night for 15 minutes and then yeah. you'd lose them, right? And, and, and back I, to gospel. There you go. <laughs> and so I heard, I heard snippets. I heard the town I live in. I heard Sad Girl, you know. And, and so I brought those songs back. Uh, and it's great for us because we... We got to introduce some great songs to an audience that maybe wouldn't have never heard never. these songs. You know, they would have stayed regional in Texas and Louisiana, you know. So um, the town that I live in is Lonely. It was written by who? McKinley Mitchell. And it probably had Lonely release in that area, huh? At first. <clears throat> at first. At first. And then uh, uh, because we hadn't recorded it yet, we were just doing it, doing it live in our shows. People would go to the record inn or or to the record rack or Dolphins of Hollywood, and they would ask for it, right, by the Midnighters. And they'd look, they didn't have computers back then. They had these big old books that pages were yellow. They were so old. <laughs> and they would open them up, right, and try to find to see if they had it in stock. And they said, well, we have it, but it, but we have it, like, To Be With You by Joe Cuba and the Sextet. And they would play it. And they go, yeah, that's the song they sang. So Joe Cuba became very popular in East L.A. because... We did to be with you, <laughs> right? So we introduced a lot of great music to an audience that I think a lot of a lot of groups maybe wouldn't have never got uh, oldies but goodies heard. Yeah, they're oldies now, but when we did them, they were new. They were fresh. You know, they're fresh today. I was I, I, I could imagine that like here you are, like you heard this song on the way to Texas, you loved it, but then like was but for somebody to like hear it for the first time, you know. A young, a young dude your age also coming from you. Mm -hmm. It sounds like brand new. It's like you're landing on the moon again. There you go. It's like you're like you're bringing it to them, and then when they find out like that someone else wrote it, you start liking it even more now. Yeah, because now you're like both styles. Like when I, I grew up <laughs> in the '80s and I love ska, right? I used to love the specials on mm -hmm. um, that song, um, that song um, "Guns of Navarone," and then. Later on, as an adult, you know, the internet, I found out that the song was written by the Skylights ah. in 1966. And it's the same song as Guns Are Never Ruined. But then I found out Guns Are Never Ruined is a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was a theme. Yeah. It's a theme, yeah. man. Da, na, 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 whatever. Cool. So 
you do the the cannonball on the run. So man, what happened next? Um, fame or touring? Well, for us, yeah. Your I dad mean, telling you, "Cabron, get in the house." Oh, bro, can finish high school. You, you know, gotta get a job at Sears. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that was the, my dad would always tell me, man. No, 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 no. It's a comedy. It's for los negros. It's for los white people. Yeah, comedy. You know, all that lifestyle entertainment is not for you. We have to work. <laughs> Mexicans have to work. You know, we didn't come here to be actors. I think what was cool is it's like we always worked. You know, our parents didn't have to tell us to mow the lawn or take out the trash. You know, if 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 it needed to be done, you it had just, to be done. You just did it. You know, uh, you didn't have to hear. You know, very often, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, from your mom. I mean, we we worked. Sometimes we, we don't know when he's going to go home. We hustled, man. We shined shoes. We sold newspapers. You know, we 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 would buy. Uh, Old Model A's, you know, in Compton and Watts from Mr. Pruitt. He had a, a junkyard, and he would call us, you know, uh, hey, I got a call you, y'all might be interested in. And we'd go buy a Model A for $20, 15 bucks. We'd bring it home. We'd get it running. We'd clean it up, and we would take it to Southgate or Downey and sell it to the Gavachos who were making hot rods, right? For we, 250 Well, not quite that much, but, <laughs> you know— uh, fifty dollars, you know, seventy dollars. We we double our money or or better, you know. And that's that's how we did. We we hustled. That's how we got our first cars. Tambien, you know. I remember my first car was a a, a thirty eight uh, Chevrolet businessman coupe. It was ugly. It was an ugly car, Felipe. But it was mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was mine, man. And I had a car, man. I drove it to school. I drove it everywhere. <laughs> how were you? Oh man, I was uh, thirteen years old. Thirteen years old, driving with yeah. a car, man. Yeah, playing punk on her football. Even right now, you could still get other ladies who are thirteen they, with a car. I was the only guy in Pop Warner football, man, that 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 would drive to Downey Playground. <laughs> I'd show up, I'd drive there in my car, <laughs> get so up, I got a scholarship my, already. Put yeah. on my shoulder pads and go practice. Wow. <laughs> But that's what we did, man. You know, it was fun. It was a, a really uh, uh, a formative period for us growing up. You know, we were in car clubs. We had the band. You know, it was really social. It was very social. The CYO was a, a, a launching pad for us, really. You know, the one on First Street and then the one on, uh, on uh, um, Cesar Chavez Boulevard, now Brooklyn Avenue and Mott. Right there, the Paramount Ballroom, Tambien, was on Almonte? 4th Street. Almonte Legion Stadium, man. That was like the... Memories of Almonte, if you guys don't know, it's a song also. That yeah. place used that to was have written... hop dances. It was written by Frank Zappa. Frank yeah. Zappa wrote that song, Memories of Almonte. And uh, uh, that was a big time, man. Art LeBeau, that was a big time. Those big shows, huh? Yeah, those were big shows, man. I remember doing, uh, with the Midnighters... Uh, and we backed up Little Anthony and the Imperials. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing, man. They came in from New York, right? With Fresh, their, huh? With their fedoras. Nice and, clothes. Oh, bro. Everything's shoe shining. Cashmere uh, <laughs> overcoats, man, with their scarves and their gloves. And they, they sat Style. there. They sat there with us, right? They said, okay, we do this song in F. And he would give us the changes. And our guitar player, George Dominguez, he already knew the songs, right? But he would play like this. It goes like this. Go, yeah. You know, so they dug us, right? We were, we were ready for them, right? And that was a big time for us. And the, the headliners that night 
uh, besides Little Anthony and the Appearers, were the Four Seasons. Sherry. Remember? Sherry, Sherry baby, baby. Sherry. That was them, man. So that was amazing, brother. That was a... Uh, 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 and you were still teenagers, too. Yeah, for young kids to be put in that environment and learning from these guys, too. You know, like uh, the area I grew up in, South Central, you know, there's a, a really huge, you talked about building bridges, you know, building bridges. That's what we did, man, with Don Julian, uh, Don Julian and the Metalarks, uh, Tony Allen, uh, Jesse Balvin, este, uh, Richard Berry, who wrote Louis Louie. All those Louis, guys. Louis. They're all from the South Central? Yeah, they went to Jefferson High School. That was just a few few blocks away. I grew Louis up on, Louis is big, man. I, I grew up on 43rd Street and Long Beach Avenue where the red car used to run. Cosmopolitan, brother. I mean, you know, downtown L.A., Long Beach uh, Pike. You know, it was amazing. Long Beach Pike, that's where the Laugh Factory is now. But back in the days, that, that place used to compete with Disneyland for amusement yeah, parks. Definitely. For a quarter round trip. From 43rd and uh, Vernon, we would get on the red car, the Long Beach Flyer, and you put a quarter in the in the little box right there. The guy would give you a token for the ride back. Awesome. 25 cents, man, round trip. And then downtown, we'd take the Watts car, a little smaller uh, trolley car, right into downtown on 6th and Main, right there to the depot. So what Willie G is telling us right now, man, that in 1959, they had a better... Bus system and travel system. We had now. rapid transit, brother. They had rapid transit, people. We're going backwards now. Yeah. So you're telling me that you could go anywhere back then. Like if you want to go to Long Beach to the Queen Mary from Boyle Heights, it could happen on transportation. That's on a bus. right. You had the R car. The R car. The R car that ran through East LA, right up Sixth Street, would take you all the way downtown, right? And then from there, you would transfer to the Long Beach Flyer or the Watts car. And vamanos. A lot of people from Los Angeles don't know that we had a a, a a trolley system and a subway system that was working a long time ago. That's right. And it was bought by the Michelin Tires, right? Yeah. Goodyear. Yeah, Goodyear. And Mayor Yorty, you know, did some deal with General Motors. And they brought the diesel buses in, man, and contaminated our city, you know, and ran it down, man. Uh, contributed to the traffic uh, congestion. You know, it was a bad, bad decision, just like uh, uh, displacing the people from Chavez Ravine, you know, and bringing in the Dodgers. They could they could have put the Dodgers anywhere in Los Angeles, but they had to come in. They could have put it in Griffith Park. That's right. And they took they took uh, Chavez Ravine, man. You know, a lot of bad decisions. Did you ever go there in the area when you were a kid? Know, know that area? Yeah, we had family that lived in, in Chavez, Chavez Ravine. Ravine. Yeah. We did a project with Ray Cooter uh, several years ago. Uh, Chavez Ravina, Los Angeles story. And we got uh, Don Tosti and Lalo Guerrero, and we wrote a bunch of songs uh, that were uh, indicative of, of that whole period, you know? And uh, just to bring back, you know, because the Dodgers were thinking of building a stadium next to uh, the Staples Center, right? They were going to build a, a baseball stadium downtown right there. And we began to ask them, well, what are you going to do with Chavez Ravine? And they were talking about building these multi-million dollar gated community homes. And we, we, we shot them down, bro. We, we said, you can't do that, man. If you're going to move the Dodgers, you need to give that land back to the families that were displaced by the Dodgers. They were homeowners, huh? That's right. 
you could there's film man of them dragging uh old old grandmas man out of their cribs man you know out of the pants throwing them in the back of sheriff's cars man and they all end up moving different places huh yeah yeah a lot of them you know stayed in the area frogtown you know down there the quentin our family you know moved over to uh right off of riverside drive a lot of them moved down there doris place down in that area but but chavez ravine man it was uh it was country, bro. I mean, it was... Uh, it was still country compared to the whole city. Yeah, now. it was beautiful. And just over the crest right there, you could see City Hall. But you had this little, like, farmland and people carving out a little. A lot of veterans lived there, too. Huh? A lot of veteranos, man, from World War II came home to there. And, and it was multicultural también, bro. That's why when I look at old photos, I see uh, black, Asian, and Latino people living there mm-hmm. and old white people. Yeah. Well, you, you look at the, the northern end of, of downtown L.A., a lot of Chinese, a lot of Italian, the Filipinos, Japanese. I mean, it was it was amazing. We grew up colorblind, so to speak, because we grew up around all this uh, ethnic diversity. You know, German, uh, Italian, uh, Jewish, Jewish. I mean, it was it was amazing, man. You know, nobody referred to each other as that Mexican family over there. They didn't. You referred to them as the Garcias or or as the 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 Ryan or the Tibadokes or the Tibadokes or the Gaglianos yeah. or the Bagliazos. You always refer to them, you know, in a respectful manner, and uh, you grew up like that. We 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 learned how to respect uh, life, property, values. It's cool. So you started going on tour, yeah, and um and um. All over the country, probably. Huh? All over the country, we 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 traveled with big tours, huh? with Arlebo tours or no? Arlebo from... was regional, it was regional. More, more West Coast. But those are bigger, a bigger promoter in the Midwest. How those booking all the big acts? There, there were several of them. Um, I couldn't name them all, you know, by their names. Now I forgot, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, there was guys out there putting on some of the biggest shows. You know, and of course, if you, Alan Freed, if you went to Alan the, Freed, that's the one I was talking, about, I was thinking about because he's the one that, that started putting rock and roll on the radio, and he was getting banned. Yeah, he also was taking a lot of bribes to put bands on the radio. Well, too. they called it they called it payola back then. Payola. Yeah. Now they have that here in uh, in LA too, but it's called pay iTunes. to play. <laughs> like before, you could have a you could have a you, before you could be a the you could. In order to be a, on, a, on to play the whiskey to play these places, you would have to be known. Like you have to be the Doors or a, a hot band. Now you could just have a, a bunch of Twitter followers, mm-hmm. ten thousand, and just book the room and sell tickets and sell tickets. That's and, the way the that's how they do, do it now. now. That's, that's the way they do it. Pay to play. You wanna you wanna play here? They give you a handful of tickets. Sell them, homie. And it's like saying, you know, I mean, we we. Where's my bonus? We want to play, man. Where's our green room? Yeah, we want to play, you know. So but anyway, that's showbiz. So you're, in, you're you're touring. You guys are starting off as teenagers, hanging around with people who are in their late twenties now, early twenties. <laughs> people who are, who are vices and all that, and it, it goes back to that movie I saw um, with um, little what, what's it? that guy, the blind guy, Red Ray Charles, Ray Charles. And he he goes into a room, and then they're doing drugs. You don't want nothing to do with this. You don't want nothing to do with this, Rachel. Is that how it happened to you? Yeah. Or were you guys already smoking pot? No, no. We 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 were. You I, know. I could feel like you were new to all this. Like when I started, like going back to doing being a comedian 
everything was all new to me again. Like, oh man, they're doing powder. I can't do that. That's drugs. What is that? What is that? In your nose. What do you mean? What oh, is that? Oh man. Your, you know? I just like the way it smells. <laughs> That how you got involved? Something like that. You know, you kind of watched from a distance, right? You know, uh, I I actually, uh, you know, I I watch guys, you know, passing a joint in the parking lot at the Shrine Theater. Shrine, you know, theater. and you're you're in the circle there, you know, because you're you're on break or in between sets, and so you're hanging out with the guys, right? And they're passing it, and I would pass it. You know, first couple of weeks. I did that too. The first I was, they would pass it to me and I would pass it out. Here I am, 22 years old, just pass it another joint. I'm just you know, there talking. And 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 so, you know, I'm studying them, right? Because, you know, you hear all these stories about the demon weed. You know, they used to make these movies, you know, with the cops chasing these guys in 49 Mercuries, you know. They're, <laughs> they're turning the corner. I guy shoot his whole family. And they, yeah, and the, 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 the tire would hit the curb and the hubcap would fall out and like 20,000 joints would fall out of the hubcap, you know? Who wrote this movie? The guy from the Hero Examiner? <laughs> <laughs> Some communist guy. Anyway, but uh, 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 we would watch him from a distance and I would just say, you know, I don't see these guys acting all crazy, man. You know, they, they're laughing. They, they were hungry. They always got hungry. <laughs> Stuff like that. So one day, you know, I just, you know, held it and said, okay, so this is the way they do it. And then I coughed for about a half hour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was my first hit. I remember my first hit. But up till then, you know, we, we never got high. Uh, the, the, the performance itself was a, was a high. There was always enough time after the gig you know, and then we just drank beer back then, you know, country club stout, these little cans, you know, they were little little cans when it was country club stout, it was like a malt liquor, you know, what they sell in 40s now, you know, <laughs> back then it was just a little can, man, got you buzzed. And it was innocent, a lot of it was innocent, you know, we traveled like that, we, you know, did our show, we tried to maintain, you know, our dignity. You know, and I always put on a good show, and it was always, like I say, enough time to party after the gig. And uh, we managed to do that for almost 10 years as the Midnighters. And uh, thanks to the fans, still today, you know, they're still supporting and following our music. Art LeBeau still plays us on the Art LeBeau Connection. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's rewarding. It's really gratifying. You know, my kids, now they inherited uh, my record collection, so they know. They know all the artists and the songs. And my son's a great drummer, plays in my band, Jacob G. Hey, hey. Jacob G, what's up, fool? All right. And uh, my son Phillip's a great guitar player, you know, composer. Both of them, both of them are really, really good. My daughters sing, but they're, they got kids. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been a very, very gratifying life. And uh, 1980, I gave my life to the Lord after battling drug addiction for several years. We had cocaine? Cocaine, heroin. Heroin, I man. I became a heroin addict. And uh, This would happen before Malo or after? This is after Malo. So you were, after the midnight, you went to Malo? Right. Did you start the band or you just joined the band? Uh, what, Malo? Yeah. No, no, I, I joined the band. They were, they were, they had been around. They had already done three, three recording projects, you know, the, the Suavecito album, um, then Dos, 
and then they had evolution. The band was growing. You could see that they were. You guys took a lot of liberties in your band, the Midnighters, that people wouldn't do now. Like you guys were really hardcore. Like you wrote a song called Chicano Power, right? And nobody right here is running running a, star, a song called Black Power or Brown Power. <laughs> they kind of they kind of wanted, we we want to cross over. What they want to do. But how, what, what made you guys, and then you wrote that song, Whittier Boulevard. What, what, what made you guys write that song, Chicano Power, at that time? Uh, well, when nobody else was. Well, you know, the Chicano Moratorium, you know, with, and then the, the riots in the, in the 70s uh, uh, just prompted us. You know, we had a lot of friends that were in Mecha and Mapa, uh, East L.A. College and Cal State Long Beach, Cal State L.A., uh, very politically minded. We weren't politically minded yet. You know what I mean? I mean, we knew what was going on, but we always looked at ourselves as musicians. You know, we weren't political in any degree. And uh, our our uh, recording engineer, Bruce Morgan, his mom, she's the one that kind of like started nudging us towards it. You know, uh, Cesar Chavez was fasting and going through a lot of, you know, to make uh, the plight of the... A United Farm Workers Union uh, known to people. And she says, how come you guys aren't writing songs about Cesar Chavez? Right? And, and we were going, Cesar. His name is Cesar Chavez, right? So all of a sudden we, we got Chicano. You know? And uh, so she said, y'all, y'all ought to be writing about that guy. You know, he's doing a lot of good. So we did. We wrote a song, The Ballad of Cesar Chavez. And then shortly after that, uh, the riots broke out on East L.A. in East L.A. And uh, we just did a song called Chicano Power. We just said, you know, let's, uh, let's get in. Let's get in with it, you know. Here we are. We can't change our identity, right? And now we have a platform where the Midnighters, maybe, you know, we can be useful, you know, to the cause. And uh, that's what prompted us to do it. We wrote Whittier Boulevard almost the same way because everybody was cruising. <laughs> people back in the days, people used to get on the low riders and cruise Whittier Boulevard. Like, I'm not talking about it. If you want to watch it live in a movie, it's um, Boulevard Nights. They wrote a movie called Boulevard mm-hmm. Nights. And um, so many other movies. But, man, they used to drive the cleanest car. And people used to borrow their dad's pants because they're the best slacks around. <laughs> <laughs> That and, and that's and, how big pants started, hat. right? That's how big pants started, huh? Because people think that it's a cholo style, but now, man, it was a necessity. It was a back necessity. then. Nobody would buy, nobody would buy kids' jeans the way they do now. <laughs> kids nowadays, they could buy 10, 12 pairs of jeans. When I was a kid, I could pick corduroys. But when um, Willie G was a kid, man, there was no money for kids to buy jeans. You wore shorts or you wore hand me downs. And if you want to look good, you gotta wear your pops. You gotta go in your father's closet. That's right, man. And look 100% like hundred percent wool. <laughs> Dramaos, man, pleated down. You know. And his hat, huh? Oh yeah, we used to we used to get pops' hat, man. Put uh, toilet tissue inside so it would fit us. <laughs> <laughs> but we were clean. We were clean, man. And that, that's like you say. You look back at at some of the old photos of the Midnighters, you know. We were always in a suit, peepity bean, you know, three-piece suits and and that. And we wanted to put our best foot forward. We wanted to really project an image, you know, that wasn't stereotyped. 
you know. And I, I, I really believe that that's what helped us cross over. Uh, Casey Kasem, Dave Hull, B. Mitchell Reed, all these disc jockeys, Sam Riddle, you know, that had us on their TV shows and that they really liked us because we were versatile, you know, and we didn't we didn't project a stereotypical image, you know. We we knew how to blend. We knew how to uh, uh, make people happy, you know. Well, one of our first big gigs with uh, Casey Kasem and Dave Hull was the Rendezvous Ballroom in Balboa Island, right here in Newport Beach. Yeah. Right, with uh, Dick Dale and the Dalton Surf Music. And here we are, eight guys, you know, uh, uh, with perpetual tans. <laughs> wow. And and the audience looking at us like we were spacemen from Saturn or something, right? Looking at us all weird. But as soon as we struck that first note and started playing music, they started dancing. It was over. It was they over. were shining. That was it, man. They, they, they wanted to chauffeur us home. You know, other ladies wanted to take you home. It was cool. Um, other ladies, other ladies wanted to see Willie's G. <laughs> um, yeah, Casey Kasem says said um one of, one of his quotes was that you guys were like the best band he ever hired ever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, these guys moving really, up ten notches is it's the, the Midnighters with um. It's Casey Kasem, man. The Midnighter are the best band I ever hired, and I don't know why my wife keeps me in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, fool? <clears throat> so, man, that's a lot of partying, Willie G. From 1970s all the way to the 60, late 60s to the 80s, and then you finally give up your life. What What was your downfall when you just said, oh, man, when you said, when you were at Roberto Duran, no mas. No mas, yeah, I just, you know. Age or is the party is not a party. After a while, uh, people don't know that you know addiction starts off at the party, but later on, when you're the only one in the party, it ain't no party no more. Yeah, it becomes a necessity. And uh, I just reached a point in my life I didn't want to lose my wife. I didn't want to lose. Had two daughters, young daughters at the time. Uh, very little career to speak of. My wife was working at Capitol Records, and I, I really believe the only reason I I still managed to carve out a little bit of a, a life for myself in the show business was because of her, you know? And uh, I, I looked at that. I started assessing my life and things that I'd done. And where am I going? What am I going to do? You know, what's next? And uh, um, I really got suicidal. And uh, uh, it was a turning point for me because while I was trying to get the courage to take my life, Uh, a really good friend of mine, Tony Garcia, sax player from Salesian High School, played in bands with us in the Midnighters. He called me, and he's the one. He didn't preach to me, nothing like that, man. I just sensed a genuine concern. You know, he was sincere uh, when he asked me, you know, how I was doing. And I lied. (laughs) I lied about how, how great things were, right? And the interesting thing is, Felipe, he listened. You, know, you grew up in show business. Most people don't call you to listen. They they can't wait to tell you about what they're doing, right? And that this was interesting to me. He listened. He heard me out completely. And then shortly after that, he started uh, just following up on me. And he's the one that actually introduced me, you know, to the Lord. You know, him and some of his friends, musicians. Musicians. Yeah. So God knew what he was doing. He knew how to 
how to hook me in, you know. And uh, March 16th, 1980, that was the night, I went to a, a, a prison camp with the, with the band, the Manny Arroyo Orchestra. Manny Arroyo Orchestra. Yeah. They were the guys that were playing. I said, oh, noble, they're going to go entertain the, the convicts, right? And they invited me. And I told them that I would go if they would let me sing, right? And so uh, Tony says, yeah, bring your charts, man. Bring your charts. So it was a really great band. I, I really wanted, I said, man, this I get another year out of my life with these guys at least, right? And I was blindsided that night, man, because I heard my friends, guys I grew up with, you know, sharing their experience uh, on coming to the Lord. And it was uh, an awakening for me. You know, I, I, I realized that's what I needed. You know, what else did I, I have to lose? In, in 30 minutes, I was going to be going back to the same hellhole I've been living in for 33 years. You know, when am I going to get set free? Right? They were talking about freedom, liberty, you know, uh, new citizenship. <laughs> it intrigued me. It all intrigued me. And then I looked at the prisoners, right? And many of them, they had a joy in their faces and their eyes. They had a peace that I, I didn't have. And I was wondering, how could these guys be in here locked up and, and look like that, look happy, look, you know? And uh, I found out I was more locked up than they were. And that's, that's a great motivator. <laughs> that is a great motivator, man. You were, even though they're, they're locked up, and they're smiling because you were there. Mm -hmm. You were more locked up in yourself than these people. Yeah. Wow, that's deep, man. Yeah, they, times I felt like that. They had a sense of freedom. You know, one day they're going to get called and they're going to get released. They're going to get paroled or whatever, right? Probation, whatever. But me, I'm going to walk out of there in 30 minutes, right? To what? Back to the same old same old, right? And so uh, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me, man. The gospel became alive to me. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that no one's ever the same, Felipe, after they've been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the division of the soul, the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And in those, those words, you discover that God knows what's racing through our minds. He knows the burdens that we carry around in our heart on a daily basis. And there's a willingness on the part of God, God Almighty, there's a willingness on the part of God to enter into the human condition, into the human situation, and transform it forever. And that transformation process has been going on in my life for over 36 years. Well, you must have really opened up yourself and opened up your heart and your mind that day. Yeah. Because, man, that's a lot to take in in one moment. Yeah. And you still have that joy with you. Amen. Amen. But you didn't have that before you walked in there. Did you feel like like seeing them happy? Isn't that, 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 that for a while did you feel like, damn, I'm gonna go back to my to my same old rut and start doing more drugs right now? Oh yeah, definitely. So many times I felt that way too, man. Like I see joy in everybody else. Like I, I, like I remember I did a show <clears throat> at Victory Outreach, New Year's Eve, because I was hired by you know him, Gilbert Esquivel. Yeah, Gilbert Esquivel, <laughs> who's a, a a comedian and a Christian, and he had his demon. He he's sober. Um, he and this is true. I had no money that weekend. I had no nothing else to do. 
you know, I needed this money just to get me through to, for three weeks of the beginning of the year. Because I know that after three weeks, I'm going to make a, have another show. And plus this show, you know, you, you as, a, mm-hmm. as a performer, you add your money, you know, through these gigs. And um, I did the show and everybody was do, doing their testimony about how, how, how long they've been sober. And here I am sitting down. With my legs, you know, shaking my legs. I'm like, can we just get this over with? You know, mm-hmm. I just want to perform and um, and get my money, get my money, and go back to my loft I share with another loser comic and get fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I felt guilty the whole time. I'm thinking this because that was a plan, and um, and I, at, at that moment, you know, there was a, ch- a moment when I was in that church. Right there and now, what was, what was that? Yeah, I was in Torrance. Yes, I was in Torrance, and I wanted to like, but but I felt, I just crazy. I felt more like a loser if I would have stayed there and started to be clean that night instead of leaving that night and going back to because um, I really want to just I just want to I killed that night by the way. Everybody <laughs> listening here, I made these people laugh. And they haven't jumped that loud since they met the gospel. But my comedy, you know, made them laugh, you know. And um, but I, the pastor gave me a hug. He told me be, he 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 had a guy. A guy drove me back home. As a matter of fact, because I showed somebody dropped me off. Yeah, my wife at the time dropped me off because she had to go to work. She had to go to work that night. She still had a life, you know. And she took time out of her time to drop me off at this gig, and I had no ride. And I remember one of the one of the people there, um, this pastor had one of the brothers drive me all the way to the house. And I told him, "No, no, 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 no! Can you just drop me off right here?" And I knew right there that he knew that I was not going to go home that night. Uh-huh. And he felt bad for me. He goes, he looked at me with his eyes like, "All right." Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And he's dead. <laughs> and then that didn't help. <laughs> and I ended, ended up going that place. Wow, man. Uh, so I can't believe that you were going through the same stuff that night. Same stuff. And, and a lot of times that happened to you, how when you you didn't care, you went back to partying. Anyways. Oh, yeah, definitely. What made you stay this time, though? Well, one, I, I, I tried to leave. I tried to yes. leave when Bobby Loya and some of the guys. Yeah, because you were looking for an escape Look at, route, right? I, I went, yeah, I went and sat way in the back <laughs> of the cafetorium, right? They, 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 they use it for cafeteria and as an auditorium, this joint there at Camp Afflerbaugh, right? So I said, I'm going to sit way in the back. So nothing that these guys say or do, you know, will affect, me. will affect me, right? That was the biggest mistake I made, man. Because as I sat back there with ansias to leave and, you know, I needed, I needed Hope something. Hope the dope man don't go to sleep. Yeah, you know, and, and so, so I'm saying there's only one door, bro. And that's by the stage where the preacher was, Damn. close to where he was standing, right? And I'm like saying, oh, this is horrible, man. I should have just sat in front. <laughs> and so Bobby Loy, I remember he opens a door and this guy's preaching. Preacher didn't even look at him, you know, they didn't pay attention. He just stayed on his thing. But I saw Bobby and Bobby's looks in the door and he's and then he sees me, right? Our eyes lock and he goes like waving me, come come on, you know, and I went, 
brother, you know, look at all these guys, you know, and I, and and he goes, shh, like just real quietly, you know, just walk along the wall, you know, and all that. So I I say, oh cool, I'm invisible, right? I told myself I'm invisible. This is how invisible I was, bro. I'm wearing my favorite emerald green velveteen pants with the Mexican flag embroidered on it, a flamenco dancer with lightning bolts and music notes coming off of her heels, and my favorite candy apple red platform patent leather sandals. The kind you don't want to run out of gas on the freeway if you're wearing those, <laughs> right? Yeah. And all you could hear, man, as I got up, this yeah. invisible entity now was whack, 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 was the, the platforms, man, whack, whack, <laughs> on that concrete floor. But I got out, right? And I said, what's up? What's up, fool? <laughs> and, and he says, hey, some of the guys got to work tomorrow, so, you know, we got to head back, man. Uh you want to help us load up? And I says, yeah, can I get a ride back with you guys? And he goes, oh, yeah, we got a lot of room. So, man, I'm already loading up the van for these guys, right? And I said, I'm going to get out of here, man, right? And I go to get in the van, and the guard stops me. And he tells me that I'm not on the list. I go, man, I'm not on the list, man. I came in. He says, yeah, you came in, but you came in that car with those people, and that guy over there has your ID. I said, well, let me get my ID. He goes, nope. He goes, there's policy. He started explaining to me the whole California penal system policy and procedure, right? Right? And so I couldn't leave, right? I watched my last, my last chance of escape, taillights dimming in the darkness as they went down the hill. And I'm standing there, man. I'm just like looking up. Man. When am I going to get set free, right? And that's when Tony... Tony came out looking for me, man. I felt his hand on my shoulder. <laughs> I scared the heck out of me, man. I turned around. He goes, what are you doing out here? I says, I was just helping the guys. You know, he says, oh, man, come on back inside. You know, I don't need more. You know, and I walked back inside, and that's when I noticed everything had changed. When I walked out, all these guys were well-behaved sitting there, you know, 70 prisoners, right, or 71, including me, right, and, uh, uh, most of them were standing up around the preacher with their hands up, and some of them were crying, some of them were, were smiling and jumping up and down, and I was like, Hijuela. I said, <laughs> it was like day and night, and I said, what happened? Tony says, oh, the preacher made an altar call. I said, oh, no, what's an altar call? So he began to explain to me that these guys were going to uh, ask Jesus to be their partner in life, and I never heard that term, right? So that's interesting. I needed a partner. I needed somebody that could help me make it through, right? So I was intrigued by that, man. And I, I didn't even know I was doing it, bro. Uh, Tony says when he, he looked around, he, he saw me just walking towards the crowd with my hands up. I didn't realize that I was doing that. But there was such a need inside of me that, uh, you know, God just, just pushed me over there, man, to give it a try. And I did. <laughs> and I was the type of guy who would try anything once, man. If I liked it, I did it again, right? <laughs> My addictions were like that. Mine too. And uh, so that night, man, I said, oh, did I, you know, I gave it a try. And I've been liking it for over 36 years. <laughs> Loving it, as a matter of fact, you know. 
it's uh, it's been amazing, been amazing. God restored my marriage. My kids are serving God. Uh, we impact a lot of youth at risk, a lot of families in need. You know, in uh, high distress areas, we do that. I was I was telling my friend on the way over here, we're under the radar, you know, but but we have a lot of impact. We make a lot of impact. Uh, a lot of the uh, police departments, a lot of social departments and that, they know what we do and they, they really come to us. They, they, they come to us to help them in certain areas. And so it's an amazing thing. And I'm still singing and using music. It's a great attraction. Music is a great attraction. You know, we still go into the, 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 the projects, you know, of Ramona Gardens, Aliso Village, uh, the, the Barrio Nuevo, the Estrada Courts. I mean, we go, we go where the need is, you know, where most people don't want to come out or can't come out for whatever reason. We go to them. Amen. And you have a show coming up Saturday, December. 31st, uh-huh, New Year's Eve. We're at New Saturday. Year's Eve. We're going to be at the Quiet Cannon with Tierra. Oh, shit. Yeah. Tierra 1 or Tierra 2? Uh, <laughs> anyway, just come and get dirty. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, get some dirt on us that night. But it's 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 good. It's it's a good good night to bring in the new year, twenty seventeen, with LRS exposure. I'll be there with my band doing all the songs you guys love to hear. Sad girl, town I live in. Are you angry? Giving up on love? Whittier Boulevard, land of a thousand dances. I'm even going to do some of the songs I sang with Malo. All right, then, New Year's Eve. That's at the uh, Quiet Cannon uh, Event Center there at uh, 901 Via San Clemente in Montebello, California. You can call 562-254-1609 for tickets, VIP seating, dinners included, $65. Well, that's a deal, people. December 31st, Quiet Cannon, Willie G from the Midnighters and... um, Tierra. And Tierra, our oh, people, let me tell you right now, man. Not only are you going to get a good show for $65 and a dinner, but let me tell you, man, after the show, right across the street from the, not even across the street from Quiet Cannon, on the same side, just park on the side. There's a burrito place called JNS. Yes. And that place is good. Oh my it's God. a landmark, man. Oh, my God. You know how it's good? Because it's made for people who like to eat late. Like sometimes you walk out of a, a club after watching Willie G kill it December 31st at Quiet Cannon, you might say, man, I feel like eating a corn dog and a taco. They got it. They got it. They, I can't believe they sell corn dogs mm-hmm. at two in the morning. And they got burritos, bro. And a pastrami quesadilla. Oh, my. I forgot Yo! about that. Pastrami quesadilla. Hey, we need um, pastrami get so big in East LA, man. But we have a lot of pastrami. That's right. We got Tommy's. Mm-hmm. Ari's. Who who you here with, man? We got Boyle Heights page yeah, here. This is George. Uh, the Animal Steel. EastLA.com in the house. So you're helping him promote the show? Yeah, I'm helping him promote the show. That's funny, man. Um, You guys... I used to I used to do comedy and I used to go with my older older friends to the hop and yeah. the puente. You ever do shows there? <laughs> yes, sir. I used to I used to have a, show, a joke. I said I love the hop. That's the only place where you hook up with a mom and a daughter. But um bum. Charlie, you get big shy girl. I get little shy girl. <laughs> so you used to do all the big shows. I remember, man, like when we used to do. I don't need to have these big Cinco de Mayo festivals at Boulevard 
on Belvedere Park. Belvedere Park. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, all my friends saw, but I didn't see him there. Paul Rodriguez performed there. Yeah, they called it La Feria. La Feria, right? Yeah. It was a big event. Big event. Big event. We, I miss those. Miss those. Like, we had a, and then um, it, it, this this show went on all the way even to the late eighties, oh, right? Yeah, definitely. Because I remember that band was performed. That reggae band. They were Latino. They they were big at the time. Uh uh uh, Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. Elijah. Oh Lord have mercy. Yeah, man. He just took me back. And now, uh, Paul Rodriguez, he was throwing um, tortillas to the audience. <laughs> and he goes, hey, Mexican Frisbees. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we miss those. You know what they call them now? They call them concerts in the park. Concerts in the park. Yeah, and they're put on by or Parks music and music in Red. the park. Yeah, yeah. Because they have them in San Jose, too. Yeah, yeah. They have them all over. We, we, we try to work closely with Parks and Rec, you know, because they, they provide a great service for our communities. But they do that. They do that every summer. And we're doing one uh, December 17th at Adventure Park in Whittier, in the city of Whittier. It's a food and toy giveaway that our ministry does, Willie G Ministries does every year. And uh, we partner with Parks and Rec right there at Adventure Park in Whittier, California, December 17th. December 17th. Maybe we could donate some toys, Lisa. Yes, please. Yes, people, donate some toys December 17th. And tell them you're with the What's Up Food Podcast. There you go. Wow, man. Because I, I started doing stand-up comedy in the, like the late 90s. And I met um, Rudy Moreno. Mm-hmm. East, he's like East LA comedian. And um, I remember um, he had a comedy show on Thursday nights at Steven's Steakhouse. <laughs> and that was a place also a that landmark. used to perform. That was a landmark. Steven's Steakhouse still around people. Okay, Steven Steven Steakhouse still around, and they, you guys performed there too, huh? Yeah, there, yeah, we've that done was a place. Shows. That was the Hollywood Palladium of the East Side. That's right, and they still have bands there. And um, that was a, but there was another place that Rudy Moreno had with another steakhouse on Garvey, uh, by Caddy's. Oh man, I forgot the name of the steakhouse. Yeah, that's a that's a Victor's little, Steakhouse. Victor's, but that's a little further north for us. You yeah, know, we, we were thinking of the Pasta House. The Pasta House, Rudy's wow. Pasta House there on, on Olympic. The yeah, I can't believe that you. you I remember <laughs> you used to perform at the because the Union. Oh yeah, the big Union Hall in Vernon City, yeah. in the industrial area. You know that was uh, that was that was huge. That was huge. When you started off, you know, with the sound, you know, that's known now as the East Side Sound right here. Was there other Chicano bands doing their own thing in other parts of the country, like maybe San Antonio or or wherever there was Latinos or Chicago? Yeah, definitely. You were big in Chicago, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they really liked us out there, but yeah, the rationales were they weren't actually from Chicago. They were from uh, in uh, uh, Michigan, but they you know it's just across the bridge, you know, not too far. But but also like you mentioned San Antonio man, uh, Sunny Osuna and the Sunliners, uh, the the West Side Horns, you know from San West uh, San Antonio, Latin Breed. There's a lot of great bands that came out of there. Uh, uh, Freddie Fender, of course. Sonny Osuna, was he is he a skinny man with curly hair? <laughs> and he he ended up doing radio too in San Antonio. Uh, no, no, okay, no, that's not the guy. All right, there, there was a guy from El Paso, Steve Crosno. Uh, that uh, was a radio personality and, and had a TV show. 
you know. And and I don't think it was his hair. I think he was. <laughs> yeah. I think he wore a rug. <laughs> and you also, um, I saw you on um, on a on a show with with a East LA guy, big guy. He had a show every uh, music show. I forgot his name right now. On local oh, access, Mr. Durant, Robert Durant, yeah, 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 yeah Mr. Durant. He still does his shows. Huh? I, I think so. I think so. He's he's back backed off a little bit because of uh, his age and health issues. But yeah, he's uh he's uh still a taste of Texas. Oh, taste of Texas, of course. I make tacos. <laughs> taste of Texas, another place where a lot of the Tejano bands. Yeah, play. they would come in anytime. Little Joe. Little uh, Joe La Familia. Yeah, Doug Sham, uh, the uh, uh, Texas Tornadoes. Anytime those guys were touring, they would come through, they would do a show there. Do uh, you play guitar? For gas money, you know? Keep That's the bus. That's awesome, man. Keep the bus on the road. So many bands, man. I wish you had more time, man. Oh, we'll come back. We For sure. We'll Every time back. you want to promote a show, bro, let us know. We'll promote oh, it for thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quiet Cannon, people. Go check out Willie G from The Midnighters doing The Midnighter songs and some Malo stuff. And Tierra, that's the Sala Brothers. Yes, sir. Together. Together forever. That's right. This is what's up. Let's find something good to get, take us out with. Once again, thank you, Felipe, for having oh, us. Oh, thank you, on today. man. And George been, came in all the way from Kansas City. Kansas City. Boys. Kansas City, bro. I was there. I was I was there last year. I performed at the <clears throat> Kansas City Punchline. Wow. So next time I'm there, man, we, we got to get together so we could let people know I'm gonna be there. Absolutely. It gets freaking cold over there. Yeah, well, right now it is. <laughs> oh my God, bro! I don't know how you guys do it. That's you your stay son warm over with there. Barbecue. My son's right here. Yeah. Both of those guys. Yeah. Nah, how old are you? Like forty-one? No, I'm fifty. I got five boys. All right. I know, man. I have I have kids, man, who are man, who I, I gotta get a hold of somehow someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's go out with uh, some midnighters, people. Thank you. See you guys New Year's Eve at the Quiet Cannon. Five six two two five four one six zero nine. Tickets. That's you, huh? That's me. Let's see. 1967. Every time I give a girl all the love that I have got, she breaks my heart and then leaves me in tears. Such a shame, but it's been going on for years. Why won't they admit him? Just giving a little. You can't make ends meet by leaving love. Where's my lokes? What's up, fool? Willie G, people! Hell yeah! Have a good weekend. December 31st, Quiet Cannon. Show some love. Go check him out. Also, thank, thank you very much for my albums here. Hell yeah. God bless everybody. Keep skipping the beach and not close enough so that space between you and me let's lose it the way you're dancing swaying to the music girl that body and how you move it every time you cross my mind girl i lose it alexa play the country heat playlist okay with amazon music a voice is all you need get tens of millions of songs download the amazon music app today